The title of my message today is part two on new things. And when I'm saying new things, I'm talking about redeemed things. Last week we talked about redeemed bodies. That there, there, there's a day coming, church, where all that, we're, that we have right now, whether your, your ankles give out or you've got a runny nose or allergies or, or who knows what, where Jesus is coming back and he is going to give us resurrected, redeemed bodies. Today we're going to be talking about uh, redeemed pleasure, or more specifically the pleasures of heaven. But I want to read a text that we, that we did last week as well, because it's, it's, the word I was going to use is pertinent. I don't know why, it just that came up to me. It is relevant today. It's Luke 21, 25 through 27. This is the Olivet Discourse. It's also found in Matthew 24 and Mark chapter 13. But Luke wrote in verse 21, uh, he, I'm sorry, verse 25. My, my, okay. Verse 25. It says, And there will be strange signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. And here on the earth nations will be in turmoil, perplexed by the roaring and strange seas and tides. People will be terrified at what they see coming upon the earth. Last week we mentioned how that word terrified in the Greek is the word phobos, where we get the word phobia. And if there's ever been a time that I've seen more phobias, it's in the last 90 days or 100 days than ever before. Um, people will be terrified at what they see coming upon the earth, for the powers of heaven will be shaken. Verse 27, then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on the cloud with power and great glory. This, this is the second coming of Christ. This is what we are looking forward to. So when all these things begin to happen, this is a key word, begin... Okay, whatever you did, fix that. <laughs> Turn that off, whatever it is. I can't continue until it's done. <laughs> well, we'll just wait a second. <laughs> we need one of those... Uh, you know when the, when, the, when the TV goes beep, this programming will come back? We need that online right now. So if you're watching on, or listening online on our website right now, we just had a weird thing take place. So give us a minute. And we'll continue. There we go. Test, test. Okay, now turn my microphone back on. Oh, oh, it's off? Okay. It happens sometimes. Nope, batteries are good. No, that wasn't a batteries thing. Yeah. It's going to pop again because the speakers are on, but that's okay. Test one, two. Is it back on? There we go. Okay. Now unmute me. Test one, two. There we go. We just needed a reboot. So. All right. Verse 28. So when all these things begin to happen, stand and look up for your salvation is near. So we, we see things taking place right now. We talked about last week about birth pains. 
and how as birth pains intensify in pregnancy, so it is as the second coming of Jesus begins, things get more intense, more uncomfortable. Okay? Let's keep reading. Uh, Then he gave them this illustration. Notice the fig tree or any other tree. When the leaves come out, you know without being told that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. I tell you the truth. This generation will not pass from the scene until these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. So we we know that there's going to be a generation. Uh, The the end of these things take place happens in one generation. So we we need to understand that as it comes to the end times, the second coming of Christ, it's not something that's prolonged over hundreds and hundreds of years or thousands of years. It is a generation. In Psalm chapter 90, it says the generation could be 70 to 80 years. I know in Genesis chapter 6, um, it says that uh, God will not contend for, with man forever, and his years shall be lengthened or uh, numbered to 120 years. There's, there's more with that, but I'm just giving some number of things. Uh, we, we know that in the wilderness, Israel wandered for 40 years so that a generation would pass away. So we don't know exactly how many years a generation is, but we know that it is in a lifetime. We don't live for hundreds of years, right? Thousands of years. A generation is a short period of time. It's a set amount of time. So one of the signs that we see in the end times is the depravity of mankind. And that there is a rebellion against God. And so in Matthew 24, where, there's a, a, where Matthew uh, records the, all of that discourse, in verse 12, he says, Sin, in this time, will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. This, this love growing cold, this, this sin abounding, it, it's, it's a time of rebellion against God. It's a, it's a time of rebellion against God's truth. And we, we can see that we're in this time right now, but I don't want to spend all this time talking about that. I want to talk about being redeemed. Amen. We talked about a redeemed body last week. This week I want to talk about redeemed pleasure. And with that, this redeemed pleasure is found in this place called heaven. Now, to be redeemed, it means to be purchased back. And in order to be bought back, it means we had to have had it at some point in the past. So we know Adam and Eve had eternal bodies. There's this conditional immortality, but they also lived in a place called Eden. Does anybody know what Eden means? Flatland. Means pleasure. Means pleasure. It was a place of it was it was a place of pleasure. It was a place of paradise. You have to have had once had this place in order to have it redeemed back to you. We know that Adam and Eve had it. They lost it. Jesus purchased it all back with his sacrifice on the cross. But right now we know that we only have a little bit of this. We talked about the bodies last week. Obviously our bodies are not redeemed. Otherwise we wouldn't be getting old. Hair wouldn't be falling out. Shoulder wouldn't be hurting. All that kind of stuff. My eyesight would be perfect. But we know we will have redeemed bodies one day. We do have a redeemed spirit in this moment right now. There's a part of you and there's a part of me, if you know Jesus, that you are completely and perfectly holy and righteous. And that is the spirit of Christ inside of you. So we have a portion, a small portion of redemption in this moment. But we are not experiencing the fullness of redemption that will happen when Jesus comes back for us. We will have all of it back. But understand, as we see things taking place right now, our redemption is near. And we are to look up. 
This is what the Bible tells us. So this week we want to talk about redeemed pleasure. And even we could say uh, a, a redeemed home. A redeemed eternal home where we're going to be one day and maybe one day soon. Yesterday we had a memorial service for Ron Foster. And, uh, you know, he's in heaven right now. He, he is experiencing life eternal and all the pleasures. And when I say all, I mean that all the pleasures. Not just a portion of the pleasures, but all of the pleasures that go with that. So we get new bodies when Jesus comes back, but we also get our pleasure back. So Eden means delight, means pleasure. God made mankind, and he placed them in pleasure. Okay? God didn't make man and then place him in turmoil, place him in chaos. He got rid of chaos. But he formed mankind, and he placed them in pleasure. Think about this for a moment. Jesus, I mean, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, our creators, they're the best parents in the universe. Nobody can compare to our God and his love for his children. Think about this. I mean, what, what parent would want their child to live in pain and suffering? We don't. In fact, if, if my kids are suffering, and it's, it's the worst thing, I'll just tattle on myself. So Claire had a thing in her eye this last Wednesday night and just driving me crazy. I would have taken a thousand little specks in my eye just to get rid of her one speck in her eye because we don't like to see our kids suffer, right? If we could, we would take their pain on us. Where do you think we get that from? God. It's in His nature. God never intended pain to be part of His creation. But when Adam and Eve rebelled, it entered into the creation. Turn to Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. This is right after the fall, right after they ate the forbidden fruit. And God now tells Adam and Eve what their lives will be like living in sin, living in a fallen world. It says in verse 16, Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth. And you will desire to control your husband, and he will rule over you. So he's saying to a woman, he says, you're going to want to, you're, you're, first of all, pregnancy is not going to be fun. It's going to hurt. But you're going to want to control things, and you're never going to be able to completely. There's going to be strife. There's going to be a lack of peace. There's going to be turmoil between you and your relationships. This came in from, from sin. Constant fighting, loss of peace. Let's go on. It says in verse, in verse 17, And to the man he said, Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. I'm just thought here for a second. I, I like to mow my lawn, but I hate mowing it more than once a week. It's like dandelions are going to grow in your yard. You're going to have to mow every four days in the month of June because it'll grow too fast. You'll have to rake. You'll, all this stuff. Okay, let's keep going. There's so much beyond that. All your life will be a struggle to scratch a living from it. Have you ever felt that way? You work hard. You just can't get ahead. You keep falling backwards. This is part of the result of sin. Verse 18, it will grow thorns and thistles for you. Though you will eat of its grains, by the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. So pain came into creation on that day. 
And from that day forward, we cannot even describe the amount of physical, mental, emotional pain, suffering, and loss that has taken place from that day till now. It wasn't in God's plan. It's not how he wanted, he didn't make Adam and Eve to place them in pain. He placed them in paradise. He placed them in pleasure. And a day will come where that pleasure that they had will be redeemed back to us. Think about our world today. We have accidents, violence, death, confusion, lies, poverty, abuse, starvation, spiritual attacks, mental illness, relational and family pain, dysfunction, rebellion, breakups, betrayal, rejections. All of this, and there's even more taking place now that was not what God wanted for us. All of that and more came in on the day sin entered creation. But here's the good news. Jesus is coming back soon. And when he comes back, he will redeem pleasure. We get our pleasure back. Look what it says in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Verse 3. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. Verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying, or pain. All things, or all these things, are gone forever. Hallelujah. Our pleasure will be redeemed. This is good news. In the times of uncertainty which we live right now, this is part of why I'm preaching on this, because I want to focus on some good things. I get tired of looking at the news and the new COVID updates and this protest and that protest and how this person is like this person and that person is like that person. That's part of the fallen system and world that we live in. But we have something to look forward to. And our redemption draws near. So look up. You know, I, I've thought this way, and maybe you even think this way now. I've thought at times, well, I know this time is coming where Jesus redeems all things, where he's going to come back for us. But I'm not done with my life yet. I still want to experience this, or I still want to have that. All these things, but you know what? Obviously, from that mindset, I never fully appreciated, and still can't fully appreciate, what redemption is. Because there is nothing in this life right now, or ever has been since the fall of man, that can compare to the pleasure that God has in store for us in heaven. You see, when Jesus comes back, all pain is gone forever. Just that one thing. But there's even better news than that. In Psalm 16, verse 11, the Bible says, You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. This is what the believer has to look forward to. Heaven, it's not just a place without pain. It's a place made 
with wonderful pleasures for eternity. There's no limit. And then understand that, that word limit doesn't just mean outside of time. It means there's, there's, there's no limits to it. It's exactly the way God intended it to be forever in the Garden of Eden. God never intended, intended Eden to be a place of anything less than pleasure. Every pleasure in heaven is better than any pleasure imaginable today. Now, it, it's a little insight information for myself or from me. Sometimes I don't sleep the best. And so I actually try to make myself think of ways in which I can go to sleep easily. Because a lot of times I'll think of what I have to do the next day or that week, and then you just don't sleep. And so I'll lay in bed, and after we pray with our girls, and we're just laying there, and I'm getting ready to sleep, and I'll think, what would I just love to do? I want to buy like a 50-foot boat. And I just want to go up and down like the Columbia River and make my way down. I've always wanted to go through the Panama Canal and then just live in the Bahamas for a bit and just, just fish off the... I mean, so I start imagining what I would see as the perfect life. It's nothing compared to what heaven is. It doesn't even come close to comparing. My imagination cannot come close to what God has in store and prepared for you and for me. Every pleasure in heaven is better than any imaginable pleasure that you can think of here on earth today. How is this possible? It just is. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, it says, That is what the scripture means when they say, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. This is heaven. Heaven is just so much beyond what you and I could possibly imagine or comprehend or think of what could be. We really do, in this sense, have to just accept it in faith. Because it is so much better. We talked about Paul last week and how uh, he was actually caught up to the third heaven. And, and if you know, Paul wrote 13 books of the New Testament. He was an apostle. He was a preacher. He could, he could talk for hours and never shut up and debate. And so the guy was obviously not lacking for words, right? But when he was brought up to the third heaven, this is what he said in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 4. He says, I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words. The guy who could talk like nobody else could not think of words to describe what he saw. Things no human is allowed to tell of. It's pretty cool. There is no way to translate the language of heaven back to the language of earth without horribly diminishing what it is. It's so much better. The best we can think of, the best word we can say of is just paradise. There's five elements that we see in any paradise. If, if this isn't in there, and this is just, again, this is the best we can describe it. But things that must exist in order for something to be called paradise, it has to be beautiful, right? You've never heard of paradise being called ugly. When I think of ugly, I think of West Memphis. I, 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 it just came to my mind, when we were moving to Alabama however many years ago, like 13 years ago, and we, we, we came through, down through Missouri, and we were on, in Arkansas, we were going to cross over into Memphis, work our way down to Alabama, 
And we were in West Memphis. I thought, this is the armpit of the world. <laughs> it was so ugly and brown and hot. But pa paradise, paradise is beautiful. You do not put the word ugly with paradise, right? Paradise is comfortable. It has to be able to accommodate your senses. You know, I've, I've even been to paradise before, a paradise. We were in Maui a couple years back, and it was August, and it was hot, and it was humid. And even though it was nice, I could not say it was paradise because it was way too hot. It was paradise if you're in the pool or in the ocean, but otherwise, hot Maui August is bad. But it was good, too, because my parents let us stay there with them. And my mom's watching right now, so mom, I loved it. It was, it was good. <laughs> Three, paradise is pleasurable. The senses of your body enjoy the experience of being there, right? Four, it's plenty. Paradise, there is no lack of anything. And five, it is safe. So beautiful, comfortable, pleasurable, plentiful, and safety. All of that is part of what heaven is going to be. But even in that, it's not adequately explained. So heaven is a place of total pleasure and paradise. And you know what? Hell is the exact opposite of that. There is not a better compare and contrast of two stark differences than between heaven and hell. And I only say that to say is, you don't want to go to hell. You don't want your loved ones to go there. So in consideration of what Paul witnessed, you and I, we have never experienced even a fraction of what the pleasures of heaven have to offer. You know, we think we have. We've all had probably good times, right? We probably had times or we've been places where we thought, I, I would be happy to never leave this place or I wish this experience would go on forever. But even in those, it does not compare. There's not a single pleasure in heaven that is worthy of hanging on to compared to what heaven has for us. We will look back on this life. We will look back on the best parts of this life and really we'll just shake our heads and say, wow, that was okay. But this, this is good. So, some more things. Every pleasure on earth, because I, I like pleasure, nothing wrong with that. But you know, with, with earth, every pleasure has a downside. In heaven, there is no downside to pleasure. In heaven, you can eat as much as you want. You'll never get tired of it. Every bite is just, mmm, oh, this is so, every bite is like that. And the, the plus side, you gain no weight. You don't get sick. I had a bowl of ice cream last night. I had to go to Smith's and get some ice cream. And I got to my last bite and I thought, oh, I have to eat this because I'm not going to waste it. I'll never have that feeling where you have too much. But in paradise, you don't have to have that feeling. You can eat your ice cream and never go, ugh, sugar overload. None of that stuff. If you rest too much here on earth, you're either, you could be lazy or called a failure, but not in paradise. You can rest. And it's perfect rest. If you stay in the sun too long, you don't get burned. There's no skin cancer. 
If you spend too much money, you don't go broke. You weren't going to lose your house. You're not going to think, I can't afford this. I'm not even sure there is money in heaven. We know that the, the, the roads are paved of gold, so why would we need it? But you never go without. Not in heaven. In heaven, you can do anything you want, as long as you want to, without any downside to it. And no, even as I say that, I, I, I was writing it down, thinking, well, maybe I shouldn't say that. Because even with saying that, we can think of it with corrupt minds. But understand, your mind is completely righteous in heaven. And there's no downside to pleasure when it comes to heaven. Everything on earth has a downside, but in heaven, there is no downside to anything. There was a, a movie that was out, uh, I think it was around 2015, and it was about a guy, last name was Piper, and uh, he was a pastor, and I think in 1989, he died in a car accident. And so he, he wrote a book, and then it was later made a movie called 90 Minutes in Heaven. And uh, it, it's a true story. I mean, the, the, the guys, the EMTs on site, they, they pronounced him dead on scene. And so he was in heaven for, for 90 minutes. And I want to share what, what he experienced. And I want to just share some of my own imaginative thoughts of heaven. I'm not trying to create a new doctrine. I'm not saying what heaven is exactly like. But I'm hoping to stir your holy imagination to have eternal-minded thoughts. The Bible says we are supposed to think about eternity. Think about it often. Think about where we're going to be. So here's what he said. This is just an, an excerpt from his book. He says, When I died, I didn't flow through a long, dark tunnel. I had no sense of fading away or coming back. I never felt my body being transported into the light. I heard no voices calling to me or anything else. Simultaneous with my last recollection of seeing the bridge and the rain, that's where he, where, when he got in his car accident, a light enveloped me. With a brilliance beyond earthly comprehension or description. Only that. In the next moment of awareness, I was standing in heaven. Joy pulsated through me as I looked around. And at that moment, I became aware of a large crowd of people. They stood in front of a brilliant, ornate gate. I have no idea how far away they were. Such things as distance didn't matter. As the crowd rushed toward me, I didn't see Jesus. But I did see people I had known. As they surged toward me, I knew instantly that all of them had died during my lifetime. Their presence seemed abundantly natural. They rushed toward me, and every person was smiling, shouting, and praising God. Although no one said so, intuitively, I knew they were my celestial welcomers, welcoming committee. It was as if they had all gathered just outside of heaven's gate, waiting for me. The first person I recognized was Joe Colbeth, my grandfather. He looked exactly as I remembered him, with his shock of white hair and what I called a big banana nose. He stopped momentarily and stood in front of me. A grin covered his face, and I may have called his name, but I'm not sure. Donnie, that's what my grandfather always called me. His eyes lit up, and he held out his arms, and he took the last steps towards me. He embraced me, holding me tightly. He was once again the robust, strong grandfather I had remembered as a child. He goes on to talk about things, and I, I, I bounce down. It says, I wasn't conscious of anything I'd left behind and felt no regrets about leaving family or possessions. It was as if God had removed anything negative or worrisome from my conscience, and I could only rejoice at being together with these wonderful people. Amen. That's just a, a, a brief part of, of this man's experience. And so then I, I thought, okay, 
What's it going to be like when I get to heaven? We've heard the old song, when we all get to heaven, what a day of remembrance that will be. Okay. We should sing that next week. Okay? So think about this. You get to heaven. See, when you get to, okay, this is just my, my little mullings over in my mind. When we get to heaven, we're going to go straight to God's presence and worship him with a perfect voice. I cannot wait for that. No monotone. No, no, no limits in my range. I mean, I'll, I'll be able to hit Kyler, Kyler levels up there and go, what? And it's going to be like just amazing. Perfect voice, perfect music. That's better than anything you've ever heard on earth. With fullness of joy. Your heart exploding in happiness to be in God's presence and worship. And you can just do that for a million years and it's like it's nothing. You never get tired. You never get distracted by the person next to you clapping offbeat because there's no offbeat. You're not bored. Just immersed in the worship of God. After worship, you decide to go out and get a bite to eat with your friends and family. You're waited on by heavenly hosts and angels. And it's the best food you've ever eaten, and you eat it for thousands of years in that moment. Having the best conversation you've ever had, like I said last week, you never talk about the weather, because the weather's perfect, and there's no reason to talk about it. You never get full, you never get sick, you never tire of the company that you're keeping in that moment. After you're done with that thousands of years meal, then you go back to your mansion with your family on your 500 acre ranch, estate, whatever you want to call it, paradise. You keep eating, you keep talking, you keep having fun, and all of a sudden Moses, David, and Paul walk up and they say, hey, let's go golf, let's go do 70, 72 rounds a hundred times over. And then after you're done playing golf for 72 rounds a hundred times over, then you walk over to the river of life and you fish and you catch every fish that's in there, every species for a thousand years. Then you eat them. That's right. You spit out no bones. Keeps on going. There's no danger. There's no lack. Your eternal life is limitless. Everything you see is different from anything you've ever seen before. In fact, that's, that's going to be one of the most amazing things about being in God's presence is you'll never, you'll never completely know Him. All He'll have to do is just turn just a little bit and you're going to see something that you never saw before and go, wow! The glory, the splendor, the majesty. You'll never tire of it. You'll always see more of who God is. Then you'll go into His presence. And you'll worship Him for a million years. And as you look at all the people around you, as you worship them, all of a sudden you see Jesus, and He sees you, and your eyes connect, and you walk up to Him, and He just embraces you. And for a hundred years, He tells you about His plans, and how great you are, and what He wants to do, and you just laugh. For hundreds of years. And then you go back into worship, and it could all start over again, and we could talk for more about this. But even in that brief, imaginative part of heaven, that doesn't adequately describe what it is. I just want us to think. One day, when Jesus comes back, pleasure will be redeemed. And you will have eternity in God's paradise, in His presence. 
Again, 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, That is what the scriptures mean when they say, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. What I shared is not biblical. Heaven's better. It's better than I can think about. You can do everything that you want to do, and it's perfect. It's righteous. It's loving. You see, we who know Jesus, this indescribable place is awaiting us. Where joy floods our every moment. Where love is perfect. Nothing is corruptible. Time doesn't matter. Every experience feels new. And it's inexhaustible how many times you can experience this. And the people who don't know Jesus go to the worst place imaginable. It's called hell. That should provoke us just as much, I think, to do all we can to share the love of Christ with those who don't know Him. A question I've heard many times about hell is this, in regards to the Lord. How could a loving God send someone to hell? I don't know how many times I've heard that question, but I I want to try to answer it this morning as we uh, wrap things up. First is this. The ultimate gift that God has given mankind is free will. I know there's different churches that have different doctrines into what free will is. Can you actually have it or not? But the Bible talks a lot about choices, and we make them. Free will, uh, so I'm just going to say this, choices, we'll say choice, free will, synonymous, the same thing. But understand this, when you make choices or if you have free will, there's consequences. Do we all agree with that? There's good consequences and there can be bad consequences for how we choose to behave. You see, when God made Adam and Eve and he placed them in the garden, he had one tree. He said, don't eat of this. Thousands, if not tens of thousands of other trees, but just one. He said, don't eat this fruit. The day you do, you will surely die. And when they sinned, there was consequences. But God is not an unloving God. He's perfect and He's just and He's caring. And He told them ahead of time, He says, don't eat. Don't eat of this fruit. He gave them what would happen, the consequences of bad decisions. You know, when God took Israel to the promised land, what did He do? He said, live this way. Serve me. Don't do this. Don't be like the other people. There's consequences for what you choose to do. Had they obeyed Him, there wouldn't have been anything bad. In fact, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, God said this to Israel. He said, Today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven, now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. So we have a choice between life and death. We have a choice with life eternal in heaven or death eternal, the second death in hell. Israel chose disobedience even though God constantly warned them and gave them chance after chance after chance to repent. So the question, well, why would God send anybody to hell? Why would a loving God send anyone to hell? I've heard sometimes that the people that ask that same question, they also say, well, I just think everyone should still get to go to heaven. Everybody makes mistakes. They should still get to go. 
Love everyone and let them in. People that say this are saying there should be no difference between a loving mother and a child abuser, a murderer and a doctor, a thief and a diligent worker, an atheist and a missionary, a cynic and a believer, Hitler and Billy Graham, Peter and Judas, Martin Luther King and the KKK. Send them all in. Because God's love, right? This isn't love. It's chaos. It's not salvation. It makes every choice you make in this world absolutely meaningless if there's not consequences for what you choose to do. A Satanist and a pastor get the same reward in place regardless of the choices. Really? You see, without free will, choices mean nothing. God, from the very beginning, gave us a precious gift in free will to choose Him. God has always said free will is a gift that He has given us so we can love Him freely. Again, He placed one tree in the garden not to try to trip up Adam and Eve. We, we don't think about the other trees. Tens of thousands of other trees that they could have partaken of. God didn't make it difficult to choose him in the garden. Uh, sometimes I think we think this. Oh, that, that, that one tree, the temptation was too great. It's not fair that God gave him that tree. No, God had better, bigger trees there. I guarantee you he did. God does not make it difficult for us to choose him. Am I right? It's the easiest thing I've ever done. It could have been easy to choose life. He didn't want them to make a choice for death. But when they did, there's consequences. There's consequences for what we choose. There's consequences for free will. Second point is this, when it comes to how could a loving God send anybody to hell? We need to understand this. It's not the first time that God has gone through this, making something and choices and free will and so forth. God made choices on the two different paradises he made for his creations. In Ezekiel chapter 28, we just read this in our, our, our Bible reading plan a couple weeks ago. But Ezekiel 28, we, we have this account of a guy named Lucifer. He's an angel. It means light bearer. We know he, that he became Satan. But God made Satan, or he made Lucifer, Michael, Gabriel, all the other angels, and placed them in paradise. Am I right? Are we on the same page there? He gave them no choice. Am I right there as well? There was not free will to not be in God's presence. And so, unlike us, you know, we're, we're born into sin. They weren't. And in God's presence, Lucifer said, I want God's glory for myself. And the Bible goes on to say that he and a third of the angels rejected God, spit in his face in rebellion, and left paradise. You know, it's hard for good people like all of you here, I was going to say y'all, all of you here, to imagine how could anybody not want to go to heaven? How could a loving God not let people into heaven? I can't fathom anybody not wanting to be there. But here we have an account right now, a third of the angels didn't want to be there. And they rebelled against the Lord. It's hard for us to think of this, but it's happened. 
So it happened in, in Ezekiel verse, or chapter 28. It also happened in the second Eden that we see in Genesis. Adam and Eve, and think about this, Adam and Eve were a, great, a greater makings, greater creation than the angels. Hebrews tells us about that. They marvel at what we have. And Adam and Eve, without a choice, were made in the garden. Then, then they too rebelled. Spit in God's face says, we don't want you, we want ourselves. Why wouldn't they want to stay eternally in his presence? Then God came to the earth. Jesus, God the Son, came to the earth. How, how could mankind not want to be in the presence of, of God in physical form? But what did mankind do? Spit in his face. Whipped him. Ultimately crucified him. And said, we don't want you. You see, the next paradise is where you and I will be going and God does not want that paradise to be spoiled either. He wants those who go to the next paradise, the paradise where your departed loved ones are right now, to go there by choice. The angels didn't have a choice in the beginning. Adam and Eve didn't have a choice in the beginning. But we will. God tried twice he created beings, put them in his presence, and they spit on him, rebelled against him, and tried to take it away for themselves. Absolutely. Heaven is a choice. God doesn't send people to hell. People choose to go there. You have to choose. Revelation 3, verse 20, it says, Look. I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends for millions of years. <laughs> That's extra. I added that. <laughs> but God's knocking. He wants people to choose him. God's not going to barge into your life and make you serve him. He only values the relationship of choice and free will. Every single person has to open a door for themselves to God and let him in willingly. So why would a loving God send anyone to hell? Why would any sane person reject such a wonderful eternal offer as heaven from the living and loving God? That's crazy. God is loving. He died on the cross for each and every one of us so that we would not go to hell. Why would anybody refuse heaven? John 3, 16 through 21, it says, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believed in him would not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light. For their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it, for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light, so others can see that they are doing what God wants. So Jesus answers the question right there. Why do people not want to go to heaven? Because they love darkness. 
They love evil. Just as we read in uh, Luke 21 and Matthew 24, love has grown, has grown cold. The world is in chaos. People are unloving towards the Lord. They love darkness more than light. Ultimately, what they're saying is, I refuse to accept a higher moral authority than me. Therefore, I'm going to believe in evolution. I'm going to be a humanist. I don't want God to tell me what's right and what's wrong. I want to choose that for myself. And we can see the world becoming more depraved by the day. It happened to Adam and Eve. It happened to Israel. It happened to Lucifer. And it's happening right now in our own society. People choosing to not want God. I don't know about you, but for me, I'm giving him my life. That's, that's, I know what's to come, dimly. But I do. I can imagine what's to come. Why would I, why would I give that up? I believe that because of my choice to embrace God's, uh, this, uh, this is good, embrace God's grace, it rhymes, you know, pastors try to do that. But because I do that, I'm going to experience pleasures from God forever. Yes. This is what we have come to come. And that's all I have to say, and I want to just wrap it up with this. I, I want to pray for you today. So if you would just bow your heads for just a moment. There are so many distractions in this world. You could be fearful right now because of things that you see going around you. You could be in pain. You could be sad. There, there, there are so many things that take place in our lives as a result of sin that can keep us from seeing what God has in store for us. He said in Luke 21, he says, Look up, your redemption is near. There's so many things that can keep us from wanting to look up. So many things that can distract us from seeing God. So this morning I want to just pray for you. If, there's, if you have a pain or if you have a sorrow or if you have a hardship, if there's anything in your life that, that is distracting you from seeing what God has for you, would you just raise your hand for a moment so I can pray for you? Thank you, a bunch of you. And I, I just believe the Holy Spirit is going to come right now. Even if you're at home right now, just eat, same thing, lift your hand at home even, just so that you can, this acknowledgement between you and the Holy Spirit to invite Him in to give you clarity. Clarity of spirit, clarity of eyes to see what God has for you. Let's pray right now. Father, you see the many things in our lives that can distract us. That can, that can take our gaze away from you and towards our problems or our pains or our sufferings or uh, anger or, or who knows what it is, the hurts of life. But Father, I ask that right now that you would just make us whole by the power of your Holy Spirit who is in us. That we can keep our eyes fixed on you. That we will look up to heaven because you are coming. Your word says you are coming soon. And as these things in our world intensify, it just means you're coming all the faster. So, Father, I ask that you would just comfort, that you would encourage, that you would just surround each and every one of us with your love and give us the determination and the discipline to stay the course. Father, I ask that right now for those uh, that we know in our lives that aren't going to heaven, they're living like hell and they're going to go to hell. I ask for ways right now, Lord, that you, could, that you could help us intervene on their behalf. 
Lord, I ask that you'd put their, their faces and their names upon our hearts, that we'd pray for them daily, and that we'd look for opportunities to share your love with them. And Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would right now start knocking on the doors of their hearts, and that you'd say, let me come in. And Father, if we can be a part in that and leading them to you, Lord, let it be so. Father, we love you. We thank you for this day that we can come together and meet and worship and hear from your word. Encourage our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. I do need my thing up here. It's hard.